Beyond the Fence Line, a podcast brought to you by the Texas Agricultural Land Trust. Created by landowners for landowners, we're proud to play a role in conserving the Texas legacy of wide open spaces. Welcome to Beyond the Fence Line. My name is Roel Lopez. I am a board member with the Texas Agricultural Land Trust. Today, I will be hosting uh, the, the topic of the podcast, which is conserving Texas, quantifying ecological return on investment. It's really an important question to uh, our organization, uh, TALT, in trying to better understand what's the value of private lands and, and what's the consequences of losing private lands. And so for today, uh, I have two guests with me, uh, Allison Lund, who is a program manager with the Texas A&M Natural Resources Institute uh, and is involved with much of our land trends data, as well as uh, Mr. Jeff Miller, who is with Old Stone Strategy, and he led the Texas Land and Water Coalition effort this last legislative session. And so both Jeff and Allison will kind of give their thoughts and perspectives with regards to what's the value of a farm and ranch. And so with that, uh, uh, Allison, Jeff, welcome. And uh, we can just kind of kick things off if you're ready. Yeah, thank you for having us. (laughs) All right, so um, as many of you know, I'm the uh, director for the Texas A&M Natural Resources Institute. So this is a little bit of an odd question uh, for me to ask Allison, but it'd be interesting to see what Allison thinks NRI uh, does. So, uh, Allison, can you tell me a little bit about the Texas A&M Natural Resources Institute, uh, what uh, we do programmatically, and, and kind of give a broad overview of the Institute for our listeners today? All right. I feel like this is an impromptu employee quiz, but uh, the Institute, we're basically an entity of Texas A&M University, and therefore our focus has been defined by the land-grant mission Uh, which centers around funding education, research, and extension programs that are meant to benefit the public. At the Institute, we have representatives of both Texas A&M AgriLife Research and Extension, along with having ties to one of the university departments, uh, the Rangeland Wildlife and Fisheries Management Department, where several of our scientists actually serve as faculty. And then within the Institute, uh, our work falls within four main program areas, wildlife conservation, military land sustainability, private land stewardship, and land trends and demography. And all this uh, serves to to better manage and conserve the unique natural resources of Texas and those throughout the U.S. as well. And specifically, my role over the past 10 years has been focused on promoting the sustainability of key landscapes across our state, specifically through developing tools that enable the public to make more informed decisions on land development. Well, thank you, Allison. So, so uh, land grant, you mentioned A&M is a land grant, is a, a really unique type of university. And, and so the, the three missions uh, or programmatic focuses for a land grant, uh, in this case, Texas A&M of, of teaching research and extension really is important. So appreciate you bringing that up. And, and so I think what you're saying is NRI really um, sort of marries those two in their work uh, that's focused on research and extension. So it's not just learning and, and getting information, but it's also translating that to, to users, right? 
to highlight where those converge, I think a, a good thing to talk about would be at the Institute, we have what's called the Texas Land Trends Program, which really provides the public with the most current information about our rural working lands in addition to the people who manage those valuable natural assets. It's basically where our research and extension efforts converge to then educate the public. Um, so I, just to give you a little background about that specific program, uh, it's designed to analyze and interpret these large statewide data sets such as the USDA um, Census of Agriculture, the Texas Comptroller Appraisal District data, and it synthesizes that information into these digestible reports, presentations, and online interactive tools that better to help people better understand our dynamic landscape and those changes occurring on it. Okay. Yeah, so so I appreciate you telling us a little bit more about land trends, and and people oftentimes ask, uh, well, what does that mean, and why is it important? And so to just sort of add a little bit to that, Allison, you know, the institute has a long history in trying to understand the the changes in our farms and ranches statewide, and so land trends really is, is a program that's uh, very comprehensive and, and a cornerstone, I would say, of uh, of NRI in the work that we do. Uh, again, with the idea of, of a better understanding of what's happening to our farms and ranches, but also what's uh, what are some of the the drivers or trends with with regards to that, and and lastly, what's the consequences of that? And so the the reason I think land trends is important uh, from a Texas Ag Land Trust perspective is you know the mission of of TALT is to again conserve and and promote the stewardship of private lands, and so understanding what those uh, changes are in private lands and so forth is is a uh, uh, pretty important so so appreciate that background on on land trends the the, the various tools and reports and so forth that um, that can be useful so so you know from your perspective uh, uh, Allison who uses these products and tools and and I'm going to get to to Jeff here in a minute as, as a as a more recent user of that but I guess more broadly, Allison, uh, who uses Lantern's products and tools and data? Sure. Actually, quite a few different um, state stakeholders do. I mean, the program's just been such a successful, useful tool to assist, you know, our state decision makers, local governments, and many others in just identifying these trends occurring across the land, such as where there's areas of high concentration of land fragmentation or accelerated population growth patterns. And even just the changing landowner values uh, across the landscape, which dictate the management of their land. And I think as an example of how this tool, how these tools have been used by the public and an interesting user is the military. And you may not be aware, but the, the importance of the state in maintaining military training space is huge. We house 15 active duty installations that conduct both ground and air training operations. And then just due to our unique landscape, Texas is especially ideal for this aviation test and training. Uh, this requires airspace. However, it's easily compromised by energy and even residential development that just alters how the airspace can be utilized uh, just due to safety concerns. So through the Texas Land Trends Program, we've been able to develop these tools that help mitigate encroachment of incompatible development in these vital uh, military training spaces and facilitate early communication between state stakeholders. We've been able to basically uh, be the storytellers of what's happening on the landscape to, to help people visualize what's occurring and see where these 
uh, encroachment issues might occur. Thanks, Allison, and, and I appreciate you bringing up that that example. Uh, many times, people don't think about the the importance of farms and ranches to the military, and so again, it really illustrates the importance of TALT and the work that TALT does with regards to, in, in, in very direct terms, improving our national defense, because that's in essence what we're doing. And so the the storytelling term, uh, Allison, I think that's exactly right. We're, we're trying to tell a better story and, and what better way than, than the good map, right? So uh, uh, a picture's worth a thousand words and, and maps really sort of hit home and emphasize certain uh, features or, or or drivers that uh, again could be useful in not only telling the story but maybe making convincing arguments to facilitate change, and so so appreciate that. I, I guess uh, I'd like to pivot uh, briefly to to Jeff, um, and as I mentioned at the beginning, uh, Jeff led the Texas Land and Water Coalition, and so Jeff, can you tell me what what, what is this coalition? What do you guys do? Sure. The coalition was kind of formed, I guess, beginning of 2022 with just a few organizations. Uh, by the end of legislative session, you know, this last May and June, we had grown to over 55 organizations that were really trying to form and create a, a fund um, at the state level for conservation. And that's conservation of, of public lands, private lands, uh, land, water, um, and, and even wildlife to make sure that, you know, our state's growing. That growth is a great thing. It's a blessing for us, but that growth also comes with challenges. And one of those challenges is the fragmentation and land loss that we're seeing. And so this this organization was really created for the purpose of, of highlighting that with the legislature and hoping to create a, a fund to help kind of mitigate some of those circumstances that we're seeing. And, and Jeff, that, that's uh, thanks for that sort of uh, overview of the coalition. I'd like to ask you a little bit more about that and going back to land trends, how how the efforts at NRI perhaps were useful to you uh, in leading this coalition and this uh, group of partners, you know, like-minded partners, right? Absolutely. Absolutely. So, yeah. um, so, so thank you, Jeff. Um, you know, one thing I'd like to pivot and, and ask both Allison and Jeff uh, what, what the relationship is of both the Institute and the uh, coalition to the Texas Ag Land Trust, because uh, many people may not realize just how invested and, and how instrumental TALT was in not just the work of the coalition that, that Jeff just mentioned, but also uh, even Land Trends as a program. And so, um, Jeff and Allison, you, you may not be aware of this, but the concept of Texas land trends, understanding the, the changes in land demography in Texas, were actually uh, through a conversation with the, the initial founding CEO of the Texas Ag Land Trust, Blair Fitzsimmons, and then at the time, the director of the Natural Resources Institute, or back then it was the Institute of Renewable Natural Resources, Dr. Neil Wilkins. And so, both Blair and Neil recognized the the need for understanding changes in, in the trends of our farms and ranches and so forth. And the first uh, assessment, statewide assessment, uh, was actually done with Blair uh, as a staff member, uh, director for the Texas uh, American Farmland Trust. And so through that uh, position, so TALT wasn't even formed yet, actually. 
and, and then the institute, they were able to generate the first report, and, and we've carried on that tradition for the last 20 years or so. So, again, a little bit of history for our li- our listeners with regards to the role that TALT played uh, specific to land trends. You know, I guess, Allison, uh, a question for you and then for Jeff is, how do you see the relationship of NRI to TALT now? I mean, uh, what what role do we have outside of uh, sharing office space and and working on on various projects uh, collaboratively? I was about to say, I think our first thing we need to mention is our relationship sharing the community fridge and coffee creamer. So Uh, more importantly, uh, you know, we're both, like you mentioned, like-minded organizations. We want to support landowners in overcoming challenges associated with land management and loss of rural lands. Uh, we work closely with TALT, identifying these emerging areas of study and tools needed that are geared towards conserving open space. Uh, recently, we had collaborated in developing guides for landowners to better understand this emerging carbon markets that are available to them, because I, there's a lo- just a lot of new things coming up that landowners may not be aware of, and we just want to be there to provide the most current uh, research-based information as well. Well, thanks, Allison. Yeah, I, I agree and appreciate your comments uh, with regards to that. From your perspective, that relationship of the Institute to the Texas Ag Land Trust, you know, from, from my perspective, uh, I think you use the term like-minded organization. I think that's very true. And and so we, we have a long history of working with TALT and, and other organizations like TALT uh, that really ultimately promote the conservation and stewardship of private lands. And so from from an NRI perspective, uh, the work of TALT helps us realize our land grant mission and the work that we do. And so again, um, you know, we 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 see that relationship and partnership to be uh, very much value added, and ultimately uh, serves to improve private land conservation. So thanks for that, Jeff. I, I guess to sort of pivot, uh, you know, from uh, a, a Texas Land and Water Coalition perspective. Uh, and, and the work that you did here recently in this past legislative session, how was TALT involved uh, and how did you see the, the work of Chad Ellis and his staff in, in trying to uh, promote this this broad effort that you talked a little bit about? Of course. Um, TALT was one of the key kind of original members of the coalition to begin with. Um, they helped they helped bring in kind of and, and be a sounding board for the landowner relationships and the landowner involvement side of this. Um, They led one of the subcommittee groups as we were trying to help kind of figure out what the policies were for this bill that we were going to present. And then, you know, obviously Chad and Talt have fantastic relationships in the legislature. And so um, I would say that some of those relationships proved to be incredibly beneficial to us as we worked both the house and the Senate um, they were they were really kind of one of those sticking members that helped kind of keep everything together and were a driving force behind the coalition as a whole. Thank you, Jeff. I, I think uh, Jeff, Allison, we we all have to sort of agree to, um, you know, I think we recognize that the leadership of, of Chad Ellis for TALT uh, has served to sort of continue the legacy of Blair Fitzsimmons. And, and he's really kind of taking us to to version two, if you will, of TALT and the work they do. But but uh, if we could all agree, let, let's not tell that to Chad. Uh, that may go to his, to his head and 
and and we need to uh, let him know that he needs to keep working harder and and if he keeps working harder he in fact might get to to a better place but uh, until then we can all uh, i think us and and the reader uh, the listeners rather uh, agree that he's he's doing a fantastic job and and the work of talt is certainly very uh, impactful statewide so so we we've learned a little bit about uh NRI we've we've learned about land trends we've learned about the coalition and the work that Allison and Jeff have been involved with I'd like to pivot uh to the topic uh of the podcast and specifically this report that NRI uh, uh worked on in partnership with members of the coalition so I'd like to describe it as this was a, a collaborative effort most certainly uh, and, and the report um, is, is our attempt to quantify the ecological return on investment. And so uh, b- before I let me give you a little bit of background uh, to what, what was genesis for the report. Uh, as I mentioned, what's the value of a farm and ranch? That's that's an important question. And, and there are other states uh, that, that have uh, attempted to do that. And, and so an earlier version of the report that fed into this specific report was our attempt uh, to better quantify the, the ecosystem services values of private land. And so that, that report served as a foundation and an input to this specific report uh, in supporting the coalition that, that Jeff uh, led here with, with these uh, other like-minded partners. But I guess uh, a question for um, Allison is, you know, how, how does NRI uh, sort of define the kind of research that they do? Uh, so so I'm going to back up a little bit and ask you, you know, how, how did how did you come to, in a, in a broad sense, um, determine this, this uh, need for this type of work and this type of report? Well, I think it always comes down to, uh, you know, our work is to fulfill the land grant mission to benefit the public. And so our our mission centers around helping people solve real world problems. This is all generally driven by economics, right? Uh, Energy, military and agriculture are leading industries in the state. So a lot of what we focus on are threats uh, that impact fish and wildlife habitat encroachment of military spaces, uh, loss of agricultural lands. And the commonality between all of these is uh, being that once they're gone from development, uh, they're near impossible to get back. So that's where our research generally centers and then leads to reports like quantifying uh, the return on investment, uh, you know, giving people the data to back up what we, we're all seeing happening on the landscape. Thanks, Allison. You know, one of the things that I think uh, uh, helps NRI um, ensure that they do important work uh, that's valuable to to our various uh, stakeholders, to include private landowners, is is relevancy. Right, ensuring that we're relevant and grounded in, in the in the work that's needed to again promote increased conservation, stewardship, and so forth. So NRI, I think you mentioned earlier, is both research and extension. And I think that that combination of of being uh, part of two state agencies, uh, one that focuses on applied uh, relevant uh, research, and then the translation of that research into the hands of users is is what makes NRI and the work that we're doing uh, that much more uh, important. So I guess a question, Allison, as a follow-up is, 
you know, the, can you tell me a little bit about the, the recent work now specific to the, the, the report that we've been talking about and referencing, but, but uh, what, what was the catalyst for that? And, and then maybe Jeff can tell us uh, a little bit of how the coalition was able to capitalize on that kind of information. Yeah, well, I think a lot of this uh, spurs from from Texas and our growth. Texas is experiencing this rapid conversion of rural lands into commercial and residential development. It's no secret the state is growing at this accelerated rate that's surpassing all the other states in the U.S. Uh, in the next 50 years, our population is likely to double what it is today, accounting for over 50 million residents. Uh, with that comes that need to provide necessities like housing and amenities and, of course, water and food security. And it's easy for people to understand the value of developing, you know, housing, schools and shopping areas to support the population. But we often forget about the ecological needs for communities. So we need space for agriculture to produce food, open space for wildlife and fish. And then, of course, the critical ecosystem services we mentioned earlier and uh, dedicated parks and trails for outdoor recreation to support, you know, physical and um, mental well-being. So uh, these spaces just add value to our lives, but also the economy. And yet there's few studies out there that have really tried to quantify these values in a monetary sense that's easy for us to understand. So the, the uh, genesis of this report was trying to put a number on what do these services, uh, ecosystem services and open space really bring the public in value? So I'm going to ask a dangerous question uh, of Jeff. Thank you, Allison, for that background in terms of what the drivers are. And so my question to Jeff is, uh, you know, what, what, what were some of the events or what was the conversation that was occurring in the Pink Dome uh, there in Austin with regards to uh, the coalition and, and more specifically, how, how was this report helpful to you in leading that effort and, again, trying to ultimately uh, raise dollars to support private land conservation or land conservation in a broad sense? Because it was both private and public, uh, what was the initial focus? Absolutely. Yeah, it was private and public both. Um, we had gone into it with a 50-50 a split in mind between that pi- private lands and public lands. and. Anytime you're going to the legislature with a two billion dollar ask, you, you've got to be able to back up those facts and f- back that up with facts and figures. Um, and, and the report that y'all developed actually helped us do that. And so, uh, whether it's talking about the fact that only four percent of lands in Texas are actually uh, protected, or talking about the fact that a two hundred billion dollar investment would lead to over two billion dollars in positive economic development for the state. Those facts and figures really helped us hit hit home the message. And honestly, in the House, we ended up with over 130 votes for this bill and for this package. Ultimately, it didn't pass the pass in the Senate when we ended up with something different. But uh, for a first session to go ask for something like this, we could not have done the work we did without this report. Thanks, Jeff. And But I, I will say that in developing the the report, and, and I'll give the our listeners the secret to the to the spaghetti sauce that we made. It, it was really a collaborative effort, you know. So in talking to these various or organizations, um, uh, to include Talt, uh, the the questions we were asking is, what are the things that we want to emphasize uh, from the perspective of the value of land? I keep saying that. What's the value of a farm and ranch? And so those were the questions we were asking our, our partners. 
Um, and, and as a, a tall board member, that that was a, uh, something that was front and center for us is, you know, what's the value of a farm and ranch and, and how can we highlight those values to, again, tell a better story? And, and, and stories are are much stronger when there's facts and 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 data and information to sort of back up that story. And so that, that's that's how we approached it. And, and we we kind of now put my NRI hat on. We we sort of approached it from the perspective of of uh, working in this uh, partnership in this coalition as a way to inform and and better position the coalition to again make the case uh, in the pink dome, which. As as you alluded to, Jeff, sometimes is is uh, very very hard to predict, and it's a hard thing to do, right? That there, there's a there's a lot of horses at the trough. Uh, it's, uh, we're not the only horse. Absolutely. Another kind of a follow up uh, question is, um, and, and this is because maybe is both Jeff and and, um, and Allison, but maybe start out with Allison. You know, what's what was uh, how's the report sort of organized? You know, I talked about. Uh, uh, trying to make the the spaghetti sauce here. So, so what were the ingredients, the key ingredients of, of the spaghetti sauce, and trying to understand the importance of conservation and public access to open space, et cetera? Well, I think this report we we came at it with a really critical eye of representing all Texans, both rural, urban, landowners, non-landowners, and we set up the report to explore four main areas. Uh, so we looked through the lens of agriculture, water resources, uh, wildlife habitat, public recreation space. So we could we explored different parts of the state and really analyzed what was the need for those particular resources, where are there likely to be shortfalls, and if we were to get money to invest in them, where would be the most ideal places to invest to get our most uh, you know, economic return on investment? Uh, you know, through utilizing expert data sets from groups like Parks and Wildlife, American Farm Trust, uh, and many others, we developed this criteria to, to really zero in on crucial areas for maintaining prime farmland or critical species habitat and even uh, equitable access to new park locations. Uh, the, the report also went into illustrating how a state investment, like Jeff mentioned, would return a significant um, value for us, you know, state taxpayers. We gave an example scenario that analyzed if we were given $200 million investment to both purchase land and invest in conservation easements, what would that look like in 20 years? And from that, we resulted in a very conservative 12 to one value uh, return on value. And that's not even considering that these goods and services from these open space lands uh, would continue in perpetuity beyond 20 years. Uh, just further highlighting why this type of investment is just has just such good potential uh, and positive impact for our state's future. Thanks, Allison. I, I guess uh, Jeff, uh, in in thinking about the elements of the report and, and in illustrating the value of a farm and ranch, what what was the outcome? You know, so so what what did you learn in, in your experience and leading this coalition and so forth through the legislative session where where did we end up and and more importantly where do we go from here sure uh the the ultimate result from the legislature was that they passed a bill for a billion dollars for state parks uh that was that was 50% of what we were asking for and it was you know showing some of those needs through american farmland trust and 
uh, trust for public lands and some of that information that we gathered through through this report process uh, that helped push that over the edge. Um, ultimately, the, the challenge still exists that we need to be able to prove up the benefit of public or private conservation for a public purpose. Uh, and, and some of those facts and figures that Allison just read off is exactly what we need more of. Um, it, it not need more of, but need to need to communicate more of, of, um, you know, our state's still growing. We're, you know, set to double our population by 2050. We need more food, fuel and fiber. Um, and being able to put that science behind it is really kind of the next step. And so, um, so in some ways that looks like interim studies and interim reports through the legislature. Some of that's, you know, continuing to build those relationships that we have and that TALT has with the legislature uh, and some of those key members. And so um, uh, I really think that the the groundwork has been laid for us to be successful. And now it's just kind of executing and communicating that effectively. Jeff, uh, from your perspective, uh, what, what was the response from voters? I guess ultimately that's what it comes down to. Absolutely. Uh, are, are people interested in conservation? Yeah, we actually did polling back in February, statewide public polling. Um, 83% of the population um, actually agrees with uh, creating a constitutional fund for land and water conservation. Uh, 79% think we need some sort of dedicated fund, dedicated fund for this purpose. And so um, I, I think, you know, whether you're red, white, or blue, or anywhere in between, you understand the need for conservation because uh, it's it's the food, it's the water that you have to live off of. And it's the recreation that, you know, COVID-19 highlighted the need for being outside and having these open spaces. And so I think the public opinion is absolutely there for it. It's just a matter of prioritizing those funds at the legislative side for what are our actual needs and, and what is the public purpose there. You know, and, and I guess, Jeff, I agree with, with your comments there. And I guess as a tall board member, the, the other thing I would sort of add is, you know, the, the, the this is the, the first step of, of a longer journey, right? Though uh, much of the funding or the funding, at least initially in this first round, is going to, to parks, uh, the, the value of public lands and public parks really uh, can be increased and enhanced through uh, the the surrounding and protection of, of those anchor points of, of private lands. And so I kind of view uh, the conservation of private lands as, as being a buffer and, and, and a matrix or a network, uh, if you will, of connecting all of these uh, uh, public assets, military bases, parks, et cetera. And so, so I, I think, um, the 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 only tool of public land conservation sh should include a, a a strong private land a private uh, stewardship component and so you know the, I think you you talked about uh, uh, need to continue to tell the story and, and maybe an interim study uh, here in in the next couple of years uh, for the next session so we'll we'll keep ch chipping at it. So uh, I guess as we sort of round our our conversation this today with um, Jeff and Allison, uh, I'd like to start out with Jeff and and um, ask him, you know, key takeaways or what it means for landowners, you know, kind of departing thoughts. You know, what what are those next steps, and uh, and what can we our listeners do collectively to prepare ourselves for for the next round? 
Yeah. And I, I think one of the key things that you had mentioned is not just the interim study part of it, but also just the the buffer lands and the land fragmentation side of this, that we need more than just just public lands to be able to do this. It, it It's going to require those working lands and those private lands as well. Uh, that's something that as we got to the end of session, we we honestly just ran out of time on that specific part of it because I think we did have the support there for some of those buffers and some of those additional extensions from public lands. And so it's maybe starting with a smaller goal in mind and then continuing to build upon it. I think we did a fantastic job of that this session. Um, and and some of it is the landowner side of it that, you know, our landowners need protections. They need a little bit of help at times. And uh, they are they are a critical backbone for our state. And so just raising that awareness of, of what it is that the private lands and working lands do for our state and and do for the the, the growing population of our state. Agree. You know, uh, an interesting little uh, story. Side note: My twenty um, one uh, year old son uh, recently uh, visited New York City, and he went to Central Park. and And when you think of of a park that size, that's surrounded by by concrete and asphalt. You know, we we don't necessarily want our parks to to mimic that, right? So so those that matrix and and buffer of, of private lands is pretty important, even from a, a park perspective. And so, uh, we we need to keep working at trying to do that. And you know, one mechanism uh, most certainly is the Texas Farm and Ranch Land Conservation Program. And so that that could be something that uh, we should really consider and look to do in this uh, upcoming legislative cycle. Uh, same question, Allison. So, you know, uh, any departing thoughts? You know, what's what's the the next version of of land uh, trends uh, within NRI, uh, and and how can we address this um, this pretty important uh, and pressing issue of of fragmentation and ultimately conversion? I think we've mentioned this already, but Texas is a private land state, and it's called that because 95% of the land is, in fact, held by private ownership. Um, You know, these private landowners are stewarding these very valuable natural resources, so we need to do our best to provide tools to add to their toolbox to better manage their properties in in perpetuity. Uh, A lot of these landowners are, are aging in their retirement age, and it's they're uh, either passing their land down that we're having the biggest intergenerational land transfer occurring in the next decade or two, uh, along with, the, you know, a lot of their um, relatives have never been farmers, ranchers. And so supporting these emerging and new landowners is going to be very important uh, in maintaining this natural space, I guess. Uh, so from the Institute perspective, we're going to continue providing them with data needed uh, to support, you know, extension uh, in, in reaching out to these landowners and asking them, how can we help you maintain these landscapes that in turn benefit our public uh, with ecosystem services? And then, of course, we're going to continue supporting uh, informing legislators and, and other decision makers and with real data that shows value for these services as well. Thank you, Allison. Thank you, Jeff. So, you know, th- this is a, a very important topic for for Talt and in our podcast today on Beyond the Fence Line. And for our listeners, we were talking about the the importance of conserving Texas and and quantifying the ecological return on investment. I think Jeff and Allison both made a pretty compelling uh, case for the importance of private land conservation. So 
Uh, Jeff, Allison, thank you for for your time uh, today and, and sharing your thoughts and perspectives and more importantly, the way forward. Uh, uh, we, we have uh, quite a bit of work still to do here at TALP. For those listening, you're listening to Beyond the Fence Line, which is available on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, and SoundCloud. Uh, please make uh, uh, efforts to continue to listen to our conversations and on the importance of private land conservation. So thank you all. Beyond the Fence Line is brought to you by the Texas Agricultural Land Trust, dedicated to conserving the Texas heritage of agricultural lands, wildlife habitats, and natural resources. Find out more at txaglandtrust.org.